Welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series, where your host, Andy Jacob, interviews leading entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs about their incredible companies and discusses their unique entrepreneurial journeys. If you're the CEO or founder of an exciting and exceptional company, the editorial team of Dotcom Magazine welcomes you to pitch your business story to appear on this exciting interview series by reaching out to Mr. Jacob at Dotcom Magazine at dotcommagazine.com. And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Good afternoon, everyone. Andy Jacob here with the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. And today's show is one that I've been looking forward to for many, many months. I have finally been able to book Dr. Alan Barnard. And Alan is one of the leading decision scientists in the world. It's very, very interesting when you get someone on a interview show that is the preeminent expert in their field. And we actually happen to have booked Alan for 45 minutes today. So we want to get right to it. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andy, for the invitation. Now, Alan, you have become known as one of the leading decision scientists and people making decisions. And I thought it was such an excellent topic, especially in today's day and age regarding what's going on in the world today about people making decisions. And also, you're an expert in helping businesses make decisions. So let's get right into it. Why do good people oftentimes make bad decisions? And why do good people oftentimes repeat those bad decisions? Um, yes, so I think that the, the simplest way to answer it is, first of all, to acknowledge that it's really, really easy to make bad decisions, right? There's always many more ways to get something wrong than there is to get something right. And a, a simple analogy is you think about baking a cake, right? Four ingredients, four steps, one temperature settings. How many ways are there to get it wrong? Many ways, <laughs> one way to get it right. So I think that's the first thing is it's really easy to make bad decisions. That's the bad news. The good news is that most of our bad decisions don't matter. And that's really important to acknowledge is to say that there are few decisions in your business that will matter a lot. By far the majority don't matter. And I'd like to, to, to get your viewers or, or listeners to picture almost like a circle with little dots in that circle that represents all the decisions that they're going to make in their life, right? And that can be really overwhelming. In fact, we make about 35,000 decisions every day sort of in the subconscious mind, right? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? What are we going to say? How are we going to get to work, etc.? What show are we going to watch? The reality is that there is a trivial many. Most of those don't matter, even though they feel really important in the moment, in the biggest scheme of things, they don't matter. But there's a few that matter a lot. And I want to distinguish between the, those are called the vital few, right? I want to distinguish between two types of, of bad decisions. One is 
I've said yes to something I should have said hell no to. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those are those are errors of commission, right? Doing things that we really shouldn't shouldn't do. And and that's always where we start when we're working with an organization or with an individual is to say those are the the, the really important decisions is what to say no to. Not just no, but hell no, right? Things that have a small upside if it actually is going to work and a big downside if it's not going to work. Those are the ones that are really important to say hell no to. But then there's the other errors that we make, which is errors of omission. Things that we should have said hell yes to <laughs> and we procrastinated or, and through our procrastination ended up saying no to. So that, that to me is the first part is to understand and acknowledge for yourself, but also if we're blaming other people for making bad decisions, is always recognize, give yourself and them some credit. It's really easy to make a bad decision. It's easy to say yes to something you should, should have said hell no to. It's easy to say yes to something that, you know, could help a little bit, but there's a massive opportunity cost, you know, by focusing your attention and budget on this thing, you're not doing something else that could have made a big difference. So that's the first part. It's easy to make bad decisions. The second part is it's actually really hard to learn from our bad decisions. You know, we have the mechanisms to learn from experience, right? You think about touching a hot stove plate, right? Yeah. Why is it so easy to learn from it? because we get immediate feedback, right? Yeah. We might yeah. touch it again just to be absolutely sure that it burns, right? But we get immediate feedback. In real life, feedback are not immediate for many of the decisions that we make. So the, the example I always ask kids is to say, what, what would happen if that plate only burnt you a day later? You know, how long would yeah. it take you to put those two things to connect them, right? It's like you're just sitting there the next moment, your, your finger goes, holy damn, you know, this is painful. And that's unfortunately what we face in our real life, both in businesses as well as in our personal lives. There are often long lags between the action that we've taken, the decision that we've made either to do something or not to do it, and the consequences of that decision. So it's easy to make bad decisions. It's actually quite hard to learn from them. Um, but it's possible. That's the good news, right? Is if we actually try to learn from our bad decisions, we often make really important discoveries. And then I think the third element that is also important to recognize for everybody, right? And it's something that I keep on having to remind myself of is that bad decision doesn't mean bad person. Bad decision just means a good person with a bad assumption. And rather than, you know, trying to eradicate ourselves from bad people in our life or from society is to help these people and yourself eradicate the bad assumptions. And the, the, the research that we've done, the methods that I've developed and the apps that we've created is all about basically, first of all, making it harder to make bad decisions, making it easier to learn from them when we do, and helping us really discover and challenge and overcome not just our own bad assumptions, but those that we want to convince to change their behavior. 
See, Alan, that's amazing. We're going to talk about the Harmony Decision app momentarily, but let's 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 peel the the lemon back a little bit. So, I'm an entrepreneur watching the show. I'm hearing Alan talk, and Alan's saying basically in this circle, there's a lot of different decisions that are made. And as entrepreneurs, we always think that every decision is the most important decision we can ever make in the world. And what Alan, I think, is saying is that there's only a few of those decisions in that circle that are really the most important decisions. Is that sort of um, coalescing what you're saying correctly? Uh, absolutely, and it's, it's uh, so when we're looking at decisions, there's there's two classifications that that. I think would be useful for entrepreneurs to think about. The first one is if they have to make a decision and there will be a mistake, could the mistake have been avoided or not? So, so understanding whether the likely mistake would be avoidable or not is an important one. For example, if, I, if an entrepreneur is required, they're submitting a business plan, they're trying to attract some funding, and they have to essentially guess how much of their product or service will sell in the future, right? Yeah. It's guaranteed that they will get that wrong. Right? <laughs> right. Absolutely guaranteed. So they need a mechanism to be able to say, how do I deal with the fact that most likely whatever prediction I'm making, it's going to be wrong, right? That's, the, that's I think, it's the, the, the first part to it is, is, is it avoidable or not avoidable a mistake? And if so, what's the best way of dealing with it, right? The second portion is, is it consequential? Is the mistake that I could make consequential? And that's hard because, like I said, as we often feel in the moment, like, wow, this is the most important decision I'm ever facing. It's like, if I get it right or wrong, is it going to matter a lot? And I think those decisions that, as I mentioned, matter a lot, not just for entrepreneurs, but for all of us, right, both in business and our personal lives, are those that we should have said hell no to and those that we should have said hell yes to. The rest is all sort of in the middle that says maybe under the right conditions, this would be good or not. And I think one of the most useful frameworks that I would recommend that not just entrepreneurs use, but anybody that's facing a tough decision is thinking about the decision in terms of its outcome, right? What your response will be. And the ones that you should say hell no to is one that has a small upside if it really works and a big downside if it doesn't. The ones that you should say hell yes to are ones that have big upsides if it works and small downsides if it doesn't. And, a, and a, just a quick story. I was uh, recently phoned by a CEO, you know, Fortune 500 company, and he said his chairman asked him to phone me. Um, and I said, why? He said, well, you know, he's planning to make some, uh, announce some layoffs because they, the, the, the earnings per share was 10% below expectation. And I said, look, I can't tell you what to do, but I can maybe give you some help in terms of how to think about what to do. And I explained these two you know, mistakes, right? To You said yes to something that you should have said no to, or you said no to something you should have said yes to. And he said, so, so how does it apply? I said, so let me ask you a question. So your earnings per share was 10% below expectation. And as a result, you think it makes sense to announce 10% layoffs, because obviously when people gave you their predictions, they made sure that they have enough resources, right? So if they had enough resources to do 100 and they only did 90, 
they probably have 10% too much read. So there's a rational way for you to, to say this decision makes sense. He said, absolutely. Can you phone my chairman and explain? I said, no, 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 wait. That's not the criteria. The criteria is not whether it makes sense or not, right? That we could come up with an explanation. The criteria is, if I'm right, if this is the best way to do it, what would be the maximum upside? And if I'm wrong, what would be the maximum downside? So I said, so tell me how many people would be impacted by this layoffs? He said that it's about, you know, 20% of, of our total revenues is the cost associated with this group of people. I said, and you're planning to announce, a, you know, 10% layoffs. So the maximum upside in terms of your bottom line would be 10% of 20%. That's 2%. And you went silent. So I said, just remember that. The maximum upside, if this really works, is 2% improvement. Right? What's the maximum downside if it fails? Because the next yeah. six months, your team is just going to be focused on one thing, how to find a fair way to decide who this 10% is going to be so that we don't get stuck in labor court, right? That we don't have a strike, that we don't lose all of our top people, that our competitors don't see this as a massive opportunity to steal market share. And the, the, the conclusion from that was going from something that made sense to me, it's a rational response to an event that has happened to saying, there's a small upside if I'm right, big downside if I'm not. And I think that that is a really useful framework, like I said, not just for entrepreneurs, for anybody is to say, avoid those decisions that have a small upside if it works, big downside if it doesn't, right? I'm often like, you, you talk to an entrepreneur and he says, oh, I've got these big plans, I'm developing new products, I'm going into new markets. And you go like, what percentage of the market share do you have with your existing product or service. And it's like 0.001%, you know? It's like, why would you take the risk of adding even more products and going into new markets? It makes no sense, right? But it, it, it looks rational because that's, we chase opportunity. And often it's, we have enough potential already, even if we had only one product, the size of the market is huge compared to our capacity, right? So we shouldn't be looking at how to increase the potential. We should be looking at how to increase the results. Look at those decisions that we've gotten wrong in the past or could get wrong that could dramatically improve our, our results right now. See, I love that. And let's, let's peel it, continue to peel it back. So we've got this circle for either an entrepreneur or someone just in their regular life about making decisions. And they make a lot of decisions all the time. Yes. And in that circle of those little dots of decisions, Alan or Dr. Barnard, there are a small number of those decisions that are the really important decisions. Yeah. And of those really important decisions that you make, there's either the ones that you say hell yes to or the <laughs> ones that you say hell no to. Yeah. So let's talk about the ones that you say hell yes to because I would think that when entrepreneurs, because they're so positive, many of them, and they, they look at things always with a rosy outcome, and they maybe are blinded by their positive, you know, motivation and their positive energy and positive psychology, that they don't really 
they can't really see the big downsides of their decision. So, so how do you help those types of people that they make a decision that they should have said hell no to because they didn't really see all the big downsides with that decision? Yeah, I think that the, the answer is, is really simple. It's just they haven't been asked the right questions, right? It's to say, don't try to predict the likely outcome. We really suck at doing that. And then in, in many cases, you know, we can show you that theoretically it's even possible to come up with a likely outcome. But we're actually good. Under many circumstances, we have strong intuition about the best versus the worst case. And that's a practical way for me to, to, to give advice. But I, one of the things that we discovered is that the reason why we make these two mistakes, these big mistakes in our life, why we do things that we really shouldn't have done or why we don't do the things that we should have done and why we struggle to learn from the experience is basically can be summarized in four reasons. These are the primary reasons why we make avoidable and consequential decision mistakes. And in our lab, we basically have tried to develop an app for each of those, right? So the, the first one is what you've just mentioned, is we make decisions and we don't realize to what extent our strong emotions influences our decisions. When we have an exaggerated frustration with our current situation, or an exaggerated expectation of the positive of a change, right? We will overreact and make a really bad change of choice. So once you become aware of it, the question, the obvious question should be, am I somehow exaggerating how bad the current situation is? Or am I exaggerating how good it could be, right? If you think about a practical example, should we implement a new IT system? right? How can we get that wrong? As we push to get it implemented, why? Because we exaggerated the frustration that our users have with the current legacy system, or we've completely exaggerated the, the real business benefits that we could get from implementing the new IT system. So that's one part where strong emotions can lead us in the wrong directions, because we, we have these exaggerated frustrations or expectations that can cause us to overreact. But there's another form, which is often the most frequent bad decision that we all make, right? As we procrastinate, right? Yeah. We, we don't make the, the good changes or good choices. We don't go for those options that have a big upside if it works and a small downside if it doesn't work. Why is that? And there's, there's really two main reasons that we've discovered. The one is related to our emotions, is we have very much exaggerated fears of losing a positive and exaggerated fear of gaining a negative. And our, our emotions is weighed heavily against weighing losses much greater than equivalent gains, right? It's yeah. like thinking about you asking somebody, if you take this action, you'll get a $10 benefit, Right. If it work, if it works, you'll make ten dollars. If it doesn't work, you'll lose ten dollars. So over time, it should cancel out. But how we experience it is that when we make ten dollars, we put a question mark. Right? Will we really get ten dollars? <laughs> Are we sure? So the ten dollars feels like five dollars. Right. But losing ten dollars feels like losing twenty dollars. Right. Right. 
Yeah. So we go and we we try as an entrepreneur, we prepare a business case for our clients. We think it's compelling. It's an unrefusable offer, right? The benefit will be $20. The cost will only be $10. And we think, well, they'll jump at it, right? But how it feels like from the buyer's perspective is they put a real big question mark around the $20. And they go, probably, best case, it might be $10. Likely maybe five, right? Because right? I know salespeople exaggerate it. What's that $10 cost look like? It's probably going to cost much more. It's probably going to be $20. So we now have this conflict between the buyer and the seller because we are looking at it through different emotions. So that, that by far is the biggest one. And the method that we've developed, the Procon Cloud method and the Harmony Decision Maker app is a practical way of helping us expose those exaggerated fears and frustrations on the one hand that can cause us to overreact, or on the other hand, those exaggerated fears of, of loss, effort, or risk that can cause us to procrastinate. So that's a, one of the big ones. The other three, just to quickly mention them, is the other reasons why we make bad decisions is decision fatigue. We get overwhelmed, and when we get overwhelmed, we basically revert to the safest decision, and the safest decision is often don't take any action. You know, it's, it's, if you think about we have three responses, right? Fight, flee, or freeze. Why would somebody freeze literally if their mind has convinced them that, that any action, whether it's fighting or freezing, can just make things worse? And we want to protect ourselves against making things worse. And that's why we get stuck and tolerate really bad relationships, really bad products, really, really bad employees, because we're scared that any action could just make it worse rather than thinking about, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario, right? So that's the second one. The, the third one is that we are working in very complex environments, right? These complex environments are often defined as VUCA environments, right? Environments with lots of volatility, lots of uncertainty, lots of complexity, lots of constraints, lots of ambiguity. And it's overwhelming. The mind can't consider all of those things. And the only way to solve that type of problem is the way that we currently do it is we simplify, right? We think that the local impact is a good indication of the global impact, right? So we say, you know, if I can buy this for $20 from China and it's currently costing me $30, I save $10, I buy a million of them a year, it's going to save me $10 million. But I have no way of really checking what the total cost impact of that decision is, right? Right. I now have to pay ahead of time. What if there's quality problems? And the way that we solve that third category of problem is just with simulation modeling. And then the last one, the fourth one is we often ask to make decisions that requires subjectivity, right? Uh, kind of using our gut feel, uh, going with our intuition. And generally speaking, going with your intuition is a good idea unless, unless you haven't developed it. Right. There's a reason why, you know, we have to invest 10,000 hours in, into something because we need to develop the bias of what to ignore, what to consider, how to consider it. And that just takes time. So those are the sort of four categories of, of decision mistakes that we focus on. And for each of those, we've created a simple app. Oh, 
let's add a layer of complexity because I know the people watching this, it just makes all the sense in the world. But now let's get a little bit more in depth because this happens a lot, especially in businesses and in personal lives. In business, oftentimes there are partnerships where they're co-founders and co-partners of a business. And then in relationships, oftentimes you have a husband or a wife or, or a partner. And sometimes in these relationships, the two people have exactly the opposite ideas of what to do. In other words, one is steadfast that it's a hell yes, and the other one is steadfast that it's a hell no decision. But yes. they're totally opposite, and they're looking at it in completely different ways. How do you, as a as the you know the decision making scientist, the leading decision making scientist, uh, arguably in the world? look at those types of decisions and then help those people get through to figure out which one is the right way to go. Right. So I'll use a, just a simple storyline to illustrate it, right? So imagine the one that says we have to make a change, right? We have to move to San Francisco. There's lots of opportunities there or something else. That change is represented by climbing a mountain, Right. The reason why they want to make that change is very clear in their mind. They believe there's a unique positive if we make it and a unique negative if we don't. And in our storyline that we use in our Harmony Decision Making app, the unique positive of climbing a mountain is a pot of gold, right? That's at the top of the mountain. The only way to get it is to actually climb the mountain. But there's another reason for climbing the mountain, which is there's a crocodile or alligator at the base of the mountain in the lake that will eat, that's going to eat you alive if you keep on hanging around, right? right? So now imagine the one partner is trying to justify to themselves and to the other partner why to make this change. So what comes up in their mind is they're looking for all the pot of golds and alligators, and they're sharing that with you and go, don't you get it? Don't you see the pot of gold and the alligator, right? The other person thinks it's a really, really bad idea. They believe it's a hell no. Why? Because in their mind, what they see is, first of all, all the effort and the risk of climbing that mountain, right? And what if we get there? And it ended up like we exaggerated, not just the pot of gold, but we looked down and we realized, damn, that alligator looks really tiny now. <laughs> it yeah. looks like, you know? Yeah. And that's the problem. So that's a fear as, you know, they look at it from a perspective of all the effort and the risk. But there's another one. And that those ones are pretty easy, right? Because it's in the conscious mind. The ones that's not in the conscious mind for the person that says hell no is not the effort and the risk of climbing the mountain. It's a fear of what I'm lose, losing, what I'm leaving behind. And that in our storyline is represented by a mermaid, right? Somebody that you've become friends with, they represent the comfort zones that you've got, the things that you appreciate from the current status quo. The effort and risk is, is represented by two crutches, right? One representing the effort or cost, the other one the risk. So what we do in our Procon Cloud method is we get both sides to look at four, all four aspects, not just the two that helps them to justify their view, right? And, right. 
and helping you to pay attention to the things that you didn't think about, that has a good chance of, first of all, understanding now I get why you're pushing for this, right? It's not that you're unreasonable, but your mind, because you've already decided that now you're trying to rationalize that decision, which is how we really think. We don't rationalize and then we decide. We decide and then we rationalize. The mind now goes and look for all the evidence to support our decision. So the, the, the Procon Cloud Method or our Harmony Decision Maker app can help both sides look at all four elements and then to say, okay, so what do we really want? The change is not a viable option if we have to live with these crutches, you know, all the effort and risk, and we have to leave the mermaid behind, right? What could make it a viable option? It's if we can find some way to get to take the mermaid with us, right? The unique positives of the status quo that we thought we'd have to give up if we moved or if we go and invest into a new business. And is there some way of mitigating the, the effort or the risk? And suddenly the change becomes viable. But then what the app does is says, wait a minute, there's another option, right? No change, staying at the base of the mountain. Why is that not viable? Because you have to give up the pot of gold and keep on living with the alligator. Is right. there something that you can add to staying behind that will allow you to still get the pot of gold and, and get rid of the alligator? So what the process and the app does is it first of all gets, it answers two questions. Help me understand my own perspective and the perspective of the other side and recognize that we both have blind spots for good reasons. And secondly, help us develop new options that we previously didn't consider that will all have more upside if it works and, and less downside, small downside if it doesn't. So it actually helps us to develop those hell yes options and, and make sure that we don't go for the hell no options. See, I love that. Now, if we're making a decision and we, we do the hell yes decision where we see that there's this tremendous upside and a very, very small downside. Yes. And, um, but we can also, is it possible that you can look at that same decision as a hell no? Because you can kind of put the hand, you know, the, the shoe on the other foot and say, well, if I do this decision, then there's going to be a tremendous amount of downside yes. and a little bit of upside. In other words, one decision can be both equally. Is that possible or is that not possible? So what we've done with the, 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 the spoke on cloud method is we've got five steps, right? And every step have just been designed to prevent one of these avoidable and consequential mistakes that we discovered. The first one is we we get overwhelmed with issues that are actually unimportant or we procrastinate on issues that are important. And the app just will ask you the question to make sure that you're dealing with a really important issue, right? The second one is it prevents you from just jumping to a solution or jumping to blaming somebody by understanding what's the options that you have that's putting you in your conflict. I can change something or not change something. And what are the unique pros and cons? And that just helps with the understanding. The third step is basically making you realize that there isn't just one option, the one that you prefer or think it's the only viable option. There's always four options, right, that you can go through. But what step four does is says, even if you found a breakthrough, you found something that has a big upside if it works and a small downside if it doesn't, very often you will not proceed with that. Why? And the reason is that as soon as we get some yes buts happening in our mind, 
we make one of two mistakes. We either ignore them and push through with an idea that was actually, if we had listened to our own intuition of those or others, we would have realized it would have been a bad idea. Or the opposite mistake is we acknowledge these yes buts and then back off. We use them as excuses not to try something. So what our fourth step says is to say, listen, we need safety nets. Our intuition is our safety nets, right? So first of all, ask yourself, you've come up with this breakthrough, you found a way that will give you big upside if it works, small downside if it doesn't, right? What are all the yes buts? And there's sort of three yes buts. Yes, I like it. I think it can, can solve my problem or allow us to capitalize on this opportunity, but it's not enough to be a win for all the parties. What must I add? The second yes, but is yes, I like it. I can see how it solves this problem, but it has some potential downside risk that I didn't think about initially. What are all those and, and what are the yes ands to mitigate or prevent that? And then the third one is yes, but there could be some implementation obstacles. Haven't secured the buy-in of all the stakeholders, don't have the budget, haven't done the training. So that's what we do in step four is to say, make sure you're capitalizing on your own intuition and those of others, but you do it in a kind of a fun way to say, you know, normally I will share my sharing my breakthrough with you and what I really want from you is support, right? And the first bloody thing that pops up in your mind is yes, but. Now I'm not just allowing that, I'm actually asking you to contribute. The more yes buts you can raise, but for every yes but you have to give me the yes and. What can I add to the idea, right? To make it even better. And that's a way to really make our breakthroughs more robust as to capitalize on our own intuition and those of others. And it also has a major sort of other benefit, which is, this is the way to make people feel part of creating a solution is by asking them to tell you all the things that can go wrong and what they would recommend to add. We hate giving up stuff, but we don't mind adding stuff. So that's what we do in the, the, in the fourth step. The last step is really just, and that comes back to your point is the last mistake that we make is we actually are pretty bad at doing good experiments. You know, we buy that ab roller on the infomercial, right? Because we want to look like that model with a six pack, right? Yeah. And the, the ad was pretty clear, 10 minutes a day. That's all it will take, right? And then three months later, we go, ah, oh, this is waste of money. It didn't work. Why? Because we were doing 10 minutes a week, not uh -huh, 10 right. minutes a day, right? So what the last step is, is to say, acknowledge that we are pretty bad at doing experiments. We're pretty bad at communicating our whole analysis. And the app sort of summarizes your full analysis into a little project charter that says, this is why you're making this change. This is what you're trying to achieve. You want more of these pros, less of these cons, and this is how we're gonna do it. All the, the, the ands that we've added. And that helps us to, to solve that problem. And I, there, there was a big insight that we gained. We actually don't learn from experience. We learn from experiments. Okay, I like that. And, and it's, I think it's not just for entrepreneurs, but for all of us, it's very useful to think of every decision that you make as an experiment. I love that. I mean, that is really great. So, so we don't learn from experience. 
we learn from experiments. Ex and that's very amazing. Good. That's amazing. And if we if we add in this this thing that you're talking about, it's the yes, but and the yes and. I can see how collaboratively in teams and in companies, if a leader understands that concept, that they're going to be able to get more out of their team because they can say to their team, yes, but, and then come up with the yes and so that you can really get a, a much better fabric for your decision. And I think what you're saying is that this Harmony Decision app that you've been able to take all of this scientific research that you've done in your, in your career uh, using what you call the ProCloud, the, the ProCon ProCon cloud method can help people through the app make better decisions. Is that what we say? And you've coalesced all your scientific research into this app to help people make better decisions? Uh, absolutely. Yes. You know, there, there's a quote that has inspired and haunted me my whole life, right? It's uh, by Jean-Baptiste Perrin. And he was a famous French physicist. And he said that the aim of all science is to substitute visible complexity for invisible simplicity. Now, when it comes to decision-making, there's a lot of visible complexity, right? Especially when you get to personal decisions, like somebody might be considering, you know, taking their own life. It's an incredibly complex subject. Yeah. But there's also profound but invisible simplicity. There are actually avoidable and consequential decision mistakes that we make. And it turns out that not only are there only five, but they happen in sequence. And because of that, we could create a process that's five steps long, right? Our first version of our method used to take five days, right? For, yeah. To take somebody because initially when you're designing something, you don't know what is really important and necessary and what is not. Over the last 10 years, we've simplified it down now that somebody can go through a whole decision. In fact, last year, I had the incredible opportunity to do a discovery session at TED Summit, right? And I was given 90 minutes. So we had some of the top minds in the world there and to say, could they take a wicked problem in their field that they've been struggling with for many years and in 90 minutes by following these five steps, make a major breakthrough in that? And that's what we were able to achieve. And, you know, there, there's a massive upside that we've seen in, in codifying that process then in an app. Firstly, is that most of us are, are really embarrassed to ask for help. Right. So when you have an app that's completely confidential, you know, and we use the highest level of security from Amazon Web Services to make sure that what you're putting into the app is completely for your eyes only. Right. So that's the first part is it, it's got all these right questions in that are actually disruptive, that help, will help us understand why we could have overreacted or procrastinated or somebody else could have overreacted and procrastinated. And secondly, to develop some new options. The, the second one is it just, it guides you through the, through the steps. You know, even the, a simple thing like the pro-con list, is, it becomes overwhelming because we think about the pros, then we think about the cons, then we think that we say, okay, it's a good, we should do it. No, we shouldn't. Whereas if we can put it down on in, inside of an app, step by step, we don't get so overwhelmed. Um, 
The other part is that we can share it, you know, inside of an app. Think about all the amazing strategy sessions that you've had in your life, right? Where people were making notes in their personal notebooks and on flip charts. And how much of that content was lost forever? Now, imagine as a team, you're going through this process and everything is captured inside of the app, right? So that five years from now, we can go back to that change in policy and go back to say, what was the problem that originally, you know, put pressure on us to make a change? What was the options we considered? What was the assumptions that we challenged? What were all the yes buts that we considered and how did we overcome them? So it provides you with a complete record of all the assumptions. And I think that's an important part because else you end up just blaming the person, right? rather than blaming the bad assumptions at that stage, right? And I, I think the, the last part is that, you know, we, we have a community library in our app. So people can not only share their decision privately, either anonymously or with their name to get feedback on it, but they can also share it in a community library so that we can start learning from each other. You know, so if you're facing a terrible situation with a business partner or maybe in your personal relationship or you're trying to figure out why it's so, so tough to quit a bad habit, right? Or, or, you know, worst case scenario, I'm feeling like life isn't worth living and I'm now in this vicious cycle where my brain is now looking for evidence to justify that, right? Imagine not only you've been able to use the app to slow down your thinking, so that you can look at it more objectively and come up with many new options that you previously didn't consider, but you can actually share that in our community library to help other people. And that, that is our ultimate goal is that, you know, we, we want to make sure that we are helping individuals and organizations, not just make better, faster decisions, but to do it together and to learn from each other. And, and going full circle to what I started with, I said, always remember for yourself, and for other people that has made a bad decision, it's very easy to make bad decisions. It's very hard to learn from bad decisions. What we want to do with our process and app and building this community is to make it hard to make bad decisions and easy to learn from your mistakes when you do make them. See, I love that. And that's the key. Now, Alan, I know that you cut out a certain amount of time for us today, but before we go, I what what's going on now in many people's lives you know through the pandemic and through other things that are going on in society is that there's some people that prior to now let's say never thought about making a really bad bad decision maybe to harm themselves or maybe to start taking some bad drugs or or something that's just a terrible hell no type of decision yeah so maybe you know with the few minutes we have left based on, you know, your, your scientific approach, if there happened to have been a, or be a person looking at this video or watching this video right now, that maybe some clouds are, have entered into their mind recently, could you look into the camera and maybe talk to those people and tell them maybe a, a couple of gems of wisdom or some type of, a uh, decision-making process they can make so that they don't make that ultimate bad decision to really do some harm to themselves? Sure. And I think that there's different levels of harm, right? So um, 
as I mentioned, especially those types of decisions, there's a lot of visible complexity. And I, I'm, I'm careful not to simplify too much. But I think having an analogy is a useful way of thinking about how can somebody get themselves into a position where they might think that life isn't worth living, right? Is think about a business. What would happen to a business if the income of the business is $10,000 and the expenses is $20,000? What would happen? Is it would close down, right? Yes. How long would it be able to survive? Depends on how much cash it's got, right? If it has $30,000 of cash, it can last for three months, right? But if it has no cash, and that's essentially what has happened with many business owners, you know, we've run out of cash. Many families have run out of cash. And when you've run out of cash or sort of our life energy, you know, if we translate it to us, then any small change can be the end of the world, right? When you've run out of cash and your, your income just drops by a little bit, that could be the end or your cost just goes up by a little bit. That, those are representing the sort of negative events that can happen to us, right? In the same way that a person that under normal conditions, they have a lot to live for, right? But they've just run out of buffer. So in those situations, I always ask somebody that is considering that drastic action, right? You have somebody that you care for, a brother, a sister, you know, a friend, if your friend or family member felt like you did right now, which is that it feels like life isn't worth living, what advice would you give them? And, and most people, you know, would not advise them to close the business, to take their own life, right? They said, listen, there's two, there's two opportunities here, right? For the business, there must be a way to increase our revenues, Right? There must be a way of, of cashing out you know, work in progress that I've got, selling, selling something right, to increase the revenues. At the same time, there's always opportunities to reduce the cost. Right? If I can do that, not only it will make my business more viable, but it will buy me time. Right? And the same thing is that to me is the, that invisible simplicity is that any one of us, right, and in fact, most people throughout their life will have that moment where they feel like life isn't worth living. And it's just because they've run out of buffer to absorb the normal stresses that we experience. As to say, before you take that drastic action, right, think about the equivalence of income is what makes life enjoyable, right? What makes life worth living? How can you do more of that stuff? every day, right? And what yeah. drains you or who drains your energy level, right? How can you get away from that stuff? Because not only will that make your life more meaningful, but it will buy you the time that you need to cope, right? And I think those are really, really important things. And what we've done with the app is to, to just guide a person through step-by-step step to slow down their thinking. Because as I mentioned, the, the, the challenge that we have is once we, once we make a decision, once we decide that my business has to be closed down or the only viable option is to end my life, right, is that I start paying attention to the reasons to justify that. I don't pay attention to the other side. 
And what the app can do is can slow down your thinking to say, you know, so what is the unique positive of actually ending your life? Right? What's the unique negative if you don't? And what we realize that there's basically free responses. When there's an expectation gap in our life or in our business, right? There's basically just free responses that we normally have. The one is we start lowering our expectation, right? Yeah. Which does re reduce the anxiety, but that's a pretty awful life to live, right? It's living a life of mediocrity is kept on, you know, I go through a bad relationship, my next relationship, I'll just lower my expectation. The next business, I'll just lower my expectation. But it's practical and it reduces the stress and anxiety, right? The second one is that we try to numb the pain as a result of that expectation gap. And that's, by, by the way, the main reason for any addictions is it gives us something to do, right? And makes us forget the pain for a moment. But of course, it, it's not, it doesn't work, right? It's putting a plaster on a symptom. The third one, which is the extreme one, is we try to stop the pain. We close the business. We consider taking our own life. And, and that's sort of in a hierarchy, right? Number one is better, right? If you, if you can reduce the stress and anxiety just by lowering your expectations to at least buy yourself some time to say it's actually pretty easy to make a bad decision. I made a bad decision. In future, I should have lower expectations of myself or of the person that harmed me, right? Is that I can see how they made that bad decision, right? So that's always the first thing is, can I lower my expectation? Is there some way of numbing the pain before I consider an extreme action? But there's a fourth option that most people are unaware of that says, if I find something that I'm really passionate about, that will make life worth living, right? That will give my, my business the focus that it requires, then expectation gaps becomes drivers, they show the potential, right? I stop paying attention to the pain from the expectation gap and I start focusing on the opportunity of that expectation gap, right? And yeah. that often the way that we trigger that is to say, what, a, what about not lowering your expectation, but increasing your expectation? And that, that takes it sort of full circle because when you increase your expectation to the level where you say it's impossible, right? You know, I've always been passionate about helping, you know, poor kids or, or abused animals or saving the planet, right? You say, okay, the reason why, it's, why you have anxiety is not only you think you can do something, but you should and you're not. Why are you not? Because it might be overwhelming. You don't even know where to start, right? So what about increasing your expectation? Because what that does is it helps us to identify those vital few things. The things that could make a huge impact, the, the hell no's and the hell yeses. And the practical method that I've developed to help people just find that is to say, start with a target if you, and ask yourself, do you think it's possible to achieve it? If you say yes, then increase the target. Either increase the magnitude or reduce your time, right? And yeah. ask yourself again. And keep on doing that until you say, now it's bloody impossible. And then what should you do? You should simply ask yourself, it's impossible unless... Love it. 
I love that. It's impossible unless. And that unless, the answer what will happen to the mind in psychology is called a disruptive question, right? You only are thinking about the reasons why it's impossible. When you ask yourself it's impossible unless, your brain won't be able to help itself to find the conditions that will make the impossible possible. And when you bring your team in, that yeah. is so good. When you bring your team in, you can ask them the same question, right? It's impossible to dramatically grow this business or dramatically reduce the cost unless. But it's also I, too fast as a personal thing. It's impossible to live a full and meaningful life unless, and that helps you to find those vital few. That is amazing. I love that. It's impossible unless. And what what uh, Dr. Bernard is saying is maybe you could even, I believe, if I'm paraphrasing it correctly, find a way to give yourself a buffer zone so you can get to the it's impossible unless moment. Absolutely. And that might not be a bad way to go for, for a good decision. Yes. That is unbelievable. Listen, doctor, I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been amazing. I could easily do another couple hours with you and maybe down the road we will do that because I have a number of other questions that I'm sure are going to be running through people's minds from watching this. But for people that just want to get in and take all of your research that you've done and, and all of your expertise, they can get your Harmony Decision app uh, on the iOS store and they can get it on Android. It's in all the mobile app stores, so they can literally just go open up their app store and, and search for Harmony Decision Maker. And inside of the app, there's a whole bunch of you know help videos. We've created little animated fable videos to help show what the process, how the process works, but also the app works. And then the second thing is, uh, you know, I've got a podcast series called Impossible Unless. And basically what we do with every episode is we pick something that our clients and students have shared with us to say, this is, it's impossible to do this. And what we share in that episode is what are the conditions, those unless conditions that will make the impossible possible. So those are two practical, uh, you know, actions that the, that your viewers or listeners can take to. And of course, I have a YouTube channel. You, uh, they can subscribe to that. Dr. Alan Barnard, just search for that. And there's literally hundreds of hours of videos where we're sharing our research insights. And we are really keen to partner with organizations. So if there are, uh, you know, NGOs out there, corporates, um, even schools or universities that want to help us because we're constantly testing our apps and methods to make sure it's really helping people make better, faster decisions when it really matters. Please reach out to Alan. Uh, it, this is remarkable. I love the impossible and less protocol. We've learned so much about the multiple decisions inside the circle with many of decisions or most of the decisions being not as important as the hell yes and the hell no decisions. We've learned so much about your pro-con cloud methodology, your five-step process, and you've been able to, uh, for sort of the general public and also businesses, put all of this research into the Harmony Decision app. Alan, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a delight. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much, Andy, for all your great questions. Thank you. Thank you.